0: Well, welcome back once again, everybody, to Sex and Couples Therapy with the Happy Ending Therapist. I'm Donna Harris-Richard, your sex-positive sex therapist here, and family therapist and couples therapist. I'm an LICSW and CST, that's Certified Sex Therapist, uh, here today with my wonderful producer once again, Vicki. How are you, Vic? Hello. I'm doing well. Great. Great, great. Here we are. Um... It's spring. Happy spring, everyone. It's a rainy spring day today. That's for yes. sure. <laughs> <laughs> it sure is. But those flowers are coming up, aren't they? They are. I'm so excited. Me too. Very exciting. And, and before we begin our discussion today on healthy sexuality, meaning healthy mind and body, we're going to do two parts on this because there's so much to say, isn't there? So much. So many things. I do want to state the mission. So, the mission of sex and couples therapy is to help individuals, couples, and families embrace and integrate sex positive thinking into daily life for optimal health, including sexual health and wellness. We go for a- annual mammograms, gynecological exams, and prostate exams for physical sexual health. We owe ourselves checkups on our emotional and mental aspects of sexual health for optimal health and wellness. Because, as I like to say, Um, you know being human is being sexual you know we have body parts that feel good and um, that that's really good so we're going to talk more about that today in terms of you know kids and adolescents and parents and adults and how we can all get better at sort of incorporating all that stuff into how we think so i also want to say just quickly before i check in with you vicky and, and how you've been since uh since our first interview with Dr. Michaud last time, oh, that was wonderful. so cool. Yeah, yeah, I just want to note that um, March 31st was International Trans Day of Visibility, um, and that's you know a, a, a day to celebrate trans and non-binary people, raising awareness about discrimination. Um, hashtag IamEnough Am Enough is a really cool um, way of thinking about uh, empowering and affirming trans people. Um, you know, acceptance. We're going to talk about this a little bit today, too, about acceptance of what is. Um, awareness raising, allyship, all of that stuff. So I do want to say there's some movies. Actually, Vicki, I wanted to recommend there's 10. Um, there's a documentary, a couple of TV shows, and some movies people can watch if they want to learn more about, um, you know, trans people and non-binary mm-hmm. people. Um, there's something, and maybe you've seen some of these. There's uh, Pose on FX, is a is a show, a, a really good show. Um on HBO, there's a show called Euphoria. Oh, everybody loves Euphoria. Oh, is that right? Oh, cool. Awesome. Um mm-hmm. then there's the L-word or uh the L-word generation Q on Showtime. That's a good one. I've seen oh, that one. Oh great, great. Um and then on Hulu there's a show called First Day. Um on HBO, there's the Trans List. And on Netflix, uh, there's Sense8, Sense8, which is S-E-N-S-E and the number 8, Sense8, which is a really interesting title, I think. Um, On PBS, there's a documentary called Kumu Hina. And then three movies. One is called Fantastic Woman. One is called Calling Her Ganda. And one is called Adam. So, those are 10, I think it's 10, uh, shows, documentaries, movies that folks can watch to kind of learn more um, and sort of be, you know, more aware in the world about trans people, non binary people. Uh, and remember everybody that love has no orientation. I think that's a really nice way to say it and put it. But anyway, I wanted to acknowledge March 31st as International Trans Day of Visibility. So. So Vicky, how are you? How have you been since, uh, you know, we met with Dr. Misho in those three podcasts that we did? How, how What have you been I, up to? How's I've your spring? Good. Yeah, yeah. I've yeah.
1: been good. Um, just enjoying slowing down
0: <laughs> or trying oh.
1: to slow down.
0: Great. Um,
1: yeah,
0: how are you how doing that?
1: Mean? How, how, how are you, you know, how, sometimes I fail. <laughs> of course. Don't we all? But I'm trying to be a little more cognizant of it, so.
0: Oh, good for you. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. A little
0: more intentional with my time. That's the key. Intentionality, I think. Yeah. How about you? How's everything been? Well, it's been hard to slow down because I've been oh so busy. But like you, I'm really trying to, you know, convince myself in the moment that when I do slow down, it's good for my creativity. It's good for my Mm. imagination. It's good for my health. Mental health, heart health, quality of life. So yeah, I've been trying to take those chunks of time um, and just be in the moment, be present. Um, th- I do actually in spring, right? Because now the you know crocuses are popping up and daffodils. You know, it's it's actually easy <laughs> to get out there and stare at the flowers, you know, or listen to the bird yeah. calls. Yeah, that really puts me in the moment. So um, yeah, so it's it's yeah, I've been good. Been good. So let's see. Shall we just get started and kind of dive in? Let's jump right on in, yeah. Okay, great. So I thought what I would start uh, in terms of talking about healthy sexuality today, meaning a healthy mind and body, right, Um, is where uh, things do not get developed um, in a way that's optimal so that... Sex therapy, um, couples therapy, family therapy can help that process. It can kind of roll the clock back and get us, get us on a, a track where we, mm-hmm. you know, just feel better. We have better mood. We have better health. You know, we have better ways of having intimacy, more connected intimacy with our partners, and and the messages that we send out to our kids and teens to get them. Uh, to sort of get it going in the beginning, right? Breaking the chain, as you say. You know, there's a generational legacy out there of not talking about sex. Um, Right. And, you know, sex, uh, talking about sex isn't just about sex. Actually, let me, I I found a quote here this morning from Esther Perel, and I really like it. She says, um, optimal sexuality may be heightened in sex therapy by helping clients to grow as individuals and partners. She goes on to say, uh, the work of sex therapy in such cases may entail helping make the relationship safe enough to enable individuals involved to be emotionally naked and take risks involved in being vulnerable. So what I like to say uh, to folks when they come into therapy, whether it's couples therapy, sex therapy, and that's, that can be one in the same, uh, I get people actually calling me and saying, do we have to do one or the other? Can we do both? And it it, over, it overlays, interlaps, it's all connected. Because it's about growing ourselves individual individually to have a better relationship, right? Um, so, you know, David Schnark says, Silence suggests that eroticism is dirty, inherently embarrassing, dangerous, inappropriate, or vulgar. Silence is an education in sexual attitudes and gender role. And this is from his book, Constructing the Sexual Crucible. So I love that idea because when we're, when we're sort of silent or omitting, committing the omission of talking about sex, you know, this isn't good because it, it's, as I've talked about before, it's missed learning opportunities for our kids and our teenagers. So talking about it, I know it's not easy. It brings up anxiety, but you know if we really want our children to to have great lives and and understanding and education and healthy relationships then talking about it's important and i'm happy to help folks do that so please call <laughs> please reach out um so let's see what it, there's an idea um i've talked about this in relationships and then i'm going to go back for a second um there's there's a great irony as i as i like to say um that in in, um, in treatment, it's not, well, in treatment and in relationships, it's not that the tension recedes uh, over time. We have to learn how to hold tension in a relationship, whether it's with our partner or talking to our kids about sex, right? It's just that in treatment, we can um, manage the tension more masterfully. All right? Um, I didn't put that in the notes, Vicki. This is something I thought about this morning. No, that's it's, fine. Keep going. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thank you. So, um, yeah, it's. I think people come in with an expectation, whether they're doing couples with their partner or they're wanting to talk about sexuality with their kids, teens, etc., that somehow it's going to get easy. Well, it does, but it takes a lot of practice. It's like getting good at driving. How do we get good at driving? We have to you drive. drive. <laughs> exactly uh yeah so you know how do you lower your anxiety about travel or um you know getting good grades i mean i suppose at some point that happens but there's a lot that happens before it starts to feel easier it means the the doing of it and the and the coping with the um the difficulty or the anxiety that comes up and holding the tension in the relationship and that's okay that's good Right. And with that, we can get more masterful at. Okay, so now let's get to the heart of what I want to talk about, you know, for this podcast and the next one that you and I will will conversate about. Vicky, how's that. Um, So so problems of low desire um, are rooted in six things. And I I thought we could talk about kind of six things today um, or in part one and part two and then how to turn that around. So uh, problems of low desire are rooted in problems in sexual development right? Um, Which means what? You know, buying into myths or not getting our questions answered as kids or teens, not knowing what's normal, right? Or not normal. Um, Let's see. The second thing that a problem of low desire can be rooted in is uh, lack of imagination, Um, you know, sensual development, like mm, when kids play and they're free and they can explore... They're developing their imaginations, you know, around art or music or nature. You know, this is really good for kids. I was watching, actually, I was watching Samantha Brown the other day. Did you ever watch her, Samantha Brown, The Travel Show? No. Oh, she's just adorable. And um, she was doing a thing on travel, and she talked about, you know, how child psychologists often um, sort of prescribe this idea that exploration for children when they're running outside or you know finding flowers or you know playing with sticks right they're just they're they're improving their imagination for the sake of um again being more creative or learning i mean children's play is about learning when they're playing they're learning um so, uh, you know, for older people and adults, you know, learning's more maybe about going to school, not so much playing, but for kids, it's about play. So we really have to encourage imagination. Do you feel that this is just something that
1: popped into my head? Do you feel that all children's play has to be educational? No okay, good.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I was thinking, L- that's what I'm I was, saying. I was, I was yeah. listening.
1: Yeah, I was listening to a podcast on that. Sorry, I zoned out for a second because I was thinking about the podcast that I had just listened to about yeah. this exact topic. And it was yeah. so interesting because it was two people, one that believes that all play should be based in educational something. And the other person's like, no, kids want to build a fort because they want to build a fort. Let them build a fort and have a fort that's like
0: right. that doesn't need to always have something. That's right. Yeah. And that's where they get to just sort of explore. um, You know, kids are smart. I mean, I hear parents all the time saying, oh, my kid is so brilliant. Well, kids are smart. And so when they're building a fort, they're learning and they're just kind of getting to do it in their own way. And this is how they develop creativity. Absolutely. For sure. Let them be, let them run outside, let them do their thing. I mean, yeah, of course, sometimes you're going to read to them or do educational games, but a lot of, uh, create developing creativity and imagination is just letting them go. Yeah. Do, do their thing. Um, so, uh, and that, that just, you know, helps adults, right. Get better at learning how to, you know, or being better designers or writers or, Whatever they do in life, it doesn't even have to be artistic. You can be artistic in a non-artistic field. Um, so anyway, all right, so problems of sexual development, buying into myths, lack of imagination, sexual trauma sometimes. You know, people um, can associate that if they've had trauma, then uh, somehow they're damaged or something's wrong with them. And I want to help turn that around for folks. You know, I want them to understand that, yes, they experience that, but that's um, that's one part of their experience that's not the whole of who they are um let's see growing up in a family or household that had a sex negative perspective right or the absence of a sex positive one and we're going to talk today about how you can create a more sex positive one um fear of the erotic self that's number five Uh, when, when When adults, I'll just say this very simply, when adults are avoiding talking about sex with their kids and teens, it has more to do with their own fears about eroticism, their own embarrassment, their own shame, their own guilt, right? So when we serve ourselves, quite often we're not serving our children, right? When we're trying to lower our own anxiety and we're cutting out the conversation about sexuality and body parts that feel good this is we're not doing our kids a service we're doing them a disservice and we don't mean it i'm not saying that people do this intentionally that they this is what comes naturally quite often for people but we have to just sort of um, make the effort against what comes natural and put in the effort you know to do something different to get something different right to break that cycle Um, and number six problems of low desire are rooted in anxiety right anxiety leads to avoidance And avoidance leads to missed learning opportunities and less development. And that's
1: good for the kids to see that too, right? So say like, you know, this is a topic that, you know, if, you know, it's a a mom talking to her kids, right? Like, you know, I have a hard time talking about this. You know, I don't really know the best way to do it. We'll learn together. You know what I mean? Let be uncomfortable together and be comfortable asking uncomfortable questions with me and, you know, going from there.
0: Mm. Yeah. And you know what came to mind? I'm actually going to be teaching a course on uh, why healthy sexuality is important to address um, for kids. I'm teaching this to other therapists. And, and in it, I came up with this idea about, imagine you're sitting down to a meal, right? Imagine you're sitting down and you're about to eat and break bread with your partner or your family, right? And you're just not talking about anything um, beyond getting calories, so that you can move forward and be in the rest of your day you don't talk about anything to do with the smell of the food the taste of the food the mouthfeel of the food um you know the the deliciousness of the food imagine doing that meal after meal after meal right or going to a museum and looking at art um taking it in Not discussing any of the sensual aspects of it. The color, the texture, uh, how it feels. You just go in, you look at the art, and you leave. (laughs) I mean, you know, you eat the meal and you leave the table. It's, it's, that's kind of what it's, how I think about missing out on, you know, I talk about eroticism, and I know people might go, eroticism? And children? Teenagers? Well, when I'm saying eroticism, what I mean is just thinking about delight and pleasure and sensu- what's sensual. I mean, you don't have to use the word erotic with your six-year-old, but for you to know <laughs> as an adult or, an appara- or a parent that, you know, developing our eroticism uh, is important. And, and again, you know, people are not to blame necessarily. They, they don't get the messages that eroticism is healthy right? That, you know, looking at art or, or nudes is, you know, this is a beautiful thing. I mean, there are so many wonderful, uh, you know, Matisse and all these wonderful artists who drew nudes or painted them. I mean, it, that's our bo- that's the body, right? So it's healthy. All right. So, um, you know, I always say, uh, if we can talk about sex, we can talk about anything. And of course, we want to do it age appropriately, you know, development, developmentally along the way for kids. Like, you're not going to talk to a a three-year-old, the way you're going to talk to a 16-year-old, right? So so we can sort of move through that and, and talk about that today. Um, let's see. Where do we want to go from here? Oh, so breaking down myths. Let's talk about breaking down myths for a second. Uh, and we've talked about this before, right? We have a podcast. I don't know if it's a two-parter or a one-parter about myths. I think, we, I think myths.
1: it's a two-parter. Yep.
0: <clears throat> yeah. So, you know, myths, more myths, right? So parents sometimes think, you know, talking with my kids about sex is only going to make them want to do it. Well, that, that's not true. That's a myth. Um, the myth that masturbation is wrong. Not true. Uh, masturbation is natural. Uh, you know, little male um, fetuses in utero, I can't remember exactly the number, but when they track it, they see that they get erections something like 17 times in a day or a week. Wow. Um, They can't tell necessarily about little female fetuses, um, about lubrication, um, as far as I read recently, Uh, but, you know, they think that that happens too. Now, babies are not necessarily experiencing um, sexual desire. I'm not saying that. It's just that, that, you know, an erection, if the blood is flowing, that's what happens. If, you, right. if you're a penis owner, right, <laughs> uh, or if you're a vulva owner, you know lubrication can happen. Um, but anyway, so masturbation is normal. It is healthy. It's actually a good way that a person can develop an understanding of what they like, what feels good. Um, and it's and it's we have natural access to what feels good, so we don't have to do other things that you know can be harmful that might feel good, you know, e.g., alcohol, drugs, etc. Right. Um, so other myths, like if my partner loved me, they wouldn't watch porn. That's a myth. <laughs> uh, locking the bedroom door isn't good for my children. That's a myth. I hear what, this from moms. Well, like what do you so, mean? When I recommend or encourage couples to have boundaries, about their own relationship and sexuality. I mean, you don't want the kids walking in when you're having sex, right? Mm-hmm. That's, not, that's not cool. So lock the door. And I work with couples quite often where moms feel very uncomfortable with that. You know, understandably, they want to be able to access their children quickly if there's a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, if you never lock the bedroom door, what happens to your sex life with your partner? Right, right. You know, there's always anxiety there. So I, I encourage people to put a lock on the bedroom door, even when they have children.
1: Well, and I'm thinking about it right now. I'm, I'm thinking about, like, the lock on this bedroom door. If I lock it from the inside, the second I turn the knob on the inside, it opens. Correct. So it's like, yeah. it's okay. It's it's yeah. it's no less time. It's no more time. You know what I mean? It might be like a, I... a second or two. I'm like literally doing the math in my head right now <laughs> of how long sure. it might
0: take. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. No, you're right, you're right. So I really want that for folks. I want people to have those healthy boundaries. Um, right. Let's see, sometimes there's a myth that because I'm a survive, survivor of sexual abuse, I'm damaged. We talked about that before, um, and that's just not true. Oh, oh, and here's another one. Sexual desire diminishes with age. Not true. People still have very strong sexual impulses, urges, You know, no matter how old they are. I remember my parents, This, my mother would would talk about how, you know, my father was still very virile at 82. She'd say virile. I thought that was so cute. I kind (laughs) of knew what she meant, you know. Oh, your father's so virile, you know. I'm like, okay, I know what that means. Okay, Mom. (laughs) Thanks a lot, TMI. But, uh... uh you know that so that's not just my dad i mean people in general can have uh again if blood is flowing and we are you know kind of have enough health going on and and happiness we are sexual um okay so let's see I think the way I want to break this down over the next couple of podcasts, Vicki, if it's okay with you, is to talk about, you know, addressing healthy sexuality for kids, children, um, addressing it with our adolescents, and then addressing it as adults in, in the couple relationship, the couple family relationship, or when they're parents as well, right? Um, and you don't have to be a parent, you know, you can be a really good auntie, uncle, and be talking to your younger family members about sexuality, Um, I have a colleague. He's great. I'm hoping I can have him as a guest on sometime. He talks to the teens. You know, they ask him about um, anal play versus, uh, you know, vulva or, you know, penile play. Um, And he says, listen, kids, if you're going to do anal play, you got to have a plug on the end. (laughs) Got to use the butt plug. (laughs) He's talking to his, like, 16-year-old niece and nephew. Uh, Because that thing can get lost in there. And you don't want that. Don't want to be going to the hospital. You know, uncle doesn't want to pay that bill. (laughs) Neither does mom or dad. Uh, So he's really open and really, you know, and I I try to be as open as I can with my, the kids in, in, in my family as well, so... So, in part, for children in families, addressing healthy sexuality is about talking about bodies, right? We want to talk about anatomy. We we want to normalize that bodies have parts that feel good. It's a really critical phase in their development by... Affirming exploration, as we talked about, and self-exploration, right? So children naturally touch their own private parts, you know, in public and private. They they rub themselves up against the chair, right, or the banister, or whatever. Um, and we want to just not make them feel bad about it, or give them any uh, idea that that's shame shameful or you know guilt. They, we don't want to instill guilt about it. Um, so let's see. Um, yeah, kids, it's very normal that they do the, you know, playing doctor thing, you know, around like seven to 12, they're exploring. Um, so, so just normalize it. Don't be shocked by it. Don't show a, a face that makes them feel like something bad happened, right? So that, that's important. Number two, using correct terms like penis, clitoris, vagina, vulva. Um, you know, I have this little saying, uh, by not naming it, we're shaming it. Right. So we want to name it. You know, we want to say what those words are. I remember growing up, my parents did not do that. You know, we had like secret words for those parts. And, you know, that was confusing. So you don't want to confuse the kids. Well, um, and, you know, God forbid anything were to
1: happen, you know, if somebody right. they don't know what they're saying or,
0: you know. Well, yeah, and so that leads to sort of body safety and appropriate touch. So if we teach children how to name their private parts, they're more likely to communicate to us if someone touched their private parts, right? Right. And we want to send that clear lesson that, um you know you can name them you know bottom and and breasts and nipples and you know penises and vaginas all those things go under bathing suit parts right and no one has the right to touch those parts you know except for you know mom or dad with washing um and, and even then you know it's very important that if if children don't feel right about that that they say that to a trusted adult or like with a doctor you know making sure, making sure parent is present um you know, so you can you can say something, for example, like, um, honey, sometimes mommy or daddy, you know, helps you wipe when you poop, but no one else needs to touch you there, right? And you can wipe yourself when you pee, so no one, not even mom or dad, needs to touch you there, right? And now that you're three, you can wash yourself in the bath, so no one needs to wash you there either, right? So if anyone, anyone at all, asks to see or touch your private parts, you must tell me about it. right? And then you can run scripts with them. Like, you can say... Um, you know rehearsing sort of possible scenarios like what would you do if someone touched you on your fill in the blank you know vagina mm. penis right um, number two why is it important to tell making sure they understand why it's important to tell um, number three who would they tell uh, number four who would uh, sorry what would you do if the person said it was our secret so the no mm. secret rule right no secrets about any stuff like that um, maybe we have surprises sometimes, right? About birthdays and things, but no secrets about touching bodies. Not, definitely not. And number five, you know, what if this person made a threat like they would hurt you or me, you know, helping them understand that that is not okay. Um, right. so let's see, uh, you know, there's some helpful resources on ahaparenting.com If you want to read more about this stuff, it's really, really good. I think, um, talking about sex age by age and age by age guide, Um, I know we don't have much time left, so I want to kind of just, can I roll through the rest of these here? So you never want to, oh, sorry, let me go back. The importance of consent, asking and and giving, right, or not giving. We ask people before we touch their body, and when someone says stop, we need to stop, right? We need to give consent for touch as well. So asking and and receiving. Um, Number five, never force children to hug family or friends, only if a child wants to. Because it's their body and no one else's. Right. We just talked about Vicky's story yesterday of being at her friend's house and right, her friend saying, you know, give give uh auntie Vicky. Give Auntie a, a hug
1: and and mm-hmm. um she didn't want to and I was like, That's fine, I'll
0: take a high five. Does a high five work? And I got the high five and it was easy. Great. So yeah great excellent that's wonderful um number six with kids you want to talk explicitly that you would never hold them responsible if someone touches them inappropriately and be brave and tell a trusted adult you know it's not their fault not their fault not their fault really important that they know that um the no secret rule again you know we don't keep secrets in our family right i just want to uh, reiterate that one. Um, and, you know, when I was thinking about the role play scenarios for safety, I was thinking, you know, I used to teach this thing for fire safety called stop, drop and roll. Do you remember that? Fire safety, yeah. stop, drop and roll. Yeah. So I'm thinking, why don't we do that for sexuality? Stop, drop and roll in a way where where we're, you're doing exactly what we're talking about here. These, these sort of seven points that we just identified. Um, think about it like, you know, safety for it's the same kind of stop, drop and roll. Uh, not fire safety but but sexuality safety for kids right really important stuff and we you know oftentimes we just don't know how, so this is the how to right so I think we'll we'll sort of stop there if that's okay um, and we will uh, start next time talking about um, healthy sexuality and how to address it for adolescents as well as for adults all right. Well, thanks for joining me, Vicki. I really appreciate it on this rainy spring day. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Um, remember that if you would like to get in touch, you can uh, certainly go on the website which is www.sexandcouplestherapy.com. Feel free to call the office at 508-990-9909. You can find us on Facebook at the Sex and Couples Therapist. And on Instagram, we are the Happy Ending Therapist. So thanks so much, everybody. And remember to always make time for pleasure, play, and passion. Catch you next time.